we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Rich, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we are continuing our weekly series with various interesting and accomplished people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID topics, but can really go wherever our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Ms. Karis Rea. Ms. Rea is the associate producer of American Thought Leaders and Cash's Corner at the Epoch Times and a fellow with the Jewish Leadership Project. She also works with the Middle East Forum and Bast Records. Her articles have appeared in Commentary, New York Daily News, Newsweek, Federalist, Washington Examiner, Town Hall, Western Journal, and many more places. So, Karis, normally I start these conversations by asking the guest what they've been thinking about, but something's been bothering me the last few days, and I thought maybe I would propose to talk about it and see what you think. And, and that is that during the last three and a half years of, of COVID, we kind of learned who our friends really were. That is that the people who were willing to look critically at the messaging that the government and, and scientific research and so on was putting out were able to think about the realities of those government policies and how the science didn't support them, but it was it was claimed to be scientific, but wasn't really scientific. And so some of our colleagues basically stood up, a few stood up for what was right, what was the actual evidence, the, the accurate and, and appropriate evidence. And some of our colleagues, many more, either said nothing or just uh, you know, acquiesced to the public messaging as if it was right and didn't push it, didn't question it. So we learned who really were our friends in what I might call the, the health freedom movement. And that more or less lasted until last weekend, a week ago, when the terrorist attack occurred in Israel. And then for some bizarre reason, what we found is some of the people who had been trying to understand what have been called conspiracy theories about event 201 how how the cia and public health and uh, other actors including nih and and cdc and so on were planning for pandemic management before the pandemic was known to have occurred uh they some of the, these people who see that as a conspiracy within the government to take control of our lives, suddenly started seeing conspiracies everywhere, conspiracies in the Israeli government to take control from its people. Well, the Israeli government did quite poorly in COVID, just like the US government did. But in any event, so those people started seeing military conspiracies that the Israeli government was planning to attack Gaza and made and killed its own civilians, as, as a way of, of of justifying going into Gaza to do some some military operation in Gaza and so on. This kind of paranoid uh, conspiracy, generalized paranoid conspiracy, extrapolating to everything. And so again, after 
for me after three and a half years of kind of complacently valuing all of my health freedom people that have been aligned with me, I start realize that no, not all of them are like that. There's a small but non-trivial fraction of them who basically are fringe thinkers who generalize and extrapolate easily without evidence and have just not been evaluating critically what information they could be seeing, seeing but are pattern forming things that seem to make sense to them in a trivial way without evidence. And so this was another rude awakening, learning who my friends of my friends are now really friends again. And, I, you know, these rude awakenings are uncomfortable. So that's what I propose we at least start to think about. I think you've been thinking along the same lines. Is that right? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. I feel the exact same way as you, and I've been trying to figure it out in my mind. And what I've discovered is I think that within the health freedom movement, for lack of a better term, right, this also includes people who are um, rightly suspicious of the deep state and uh, globalism and the formation of a one world technocratic government, all those things, that whole that whole movement of people who, like us, is very concerned about that. They are, some of them are just missing the boat when it comes to Israel. And I think there's a few different categories of thought here. One category that I see is many of these health freedom people came from the left of the political spectrum, right? They were left wingers at one point, And now because the whole political axes has been shifted and realigned, they randomly find themselves on the right, right? Because the right now means something different that, that it did. And a lot of them have actually uh, been reflective enough to now reevaluate a lot of other assumptions that they may have had uh, about conservatives or even just political issues. Um, some of them have even had, uh, is mea culpa the right word? Like a mea culpa where they sure. they publicly come out and they apologize to conservatives and they say, wow, I, I used to believe A, B, and C, and now I see that it's really D, E, and F. But for some reason, They've taken the anti-Zionism that has become so fundamental on the left, and they haven't stopped to reevaluate that type of thinking. They haven't stopped and asked themselves, wait a second, is this another, um, another Kool-Aid that I've been drinking, right? Another kind of propaganda campaign that comes from somewhere that I'm not aware of. No, they've been very arrogant about what they believe about this conflict and about Israel. They, they are not shy about having an opinion. And I would like to ask them some questions. I would like to ask them if they're aware of if they're aware of where the, the anti-Zionist movement comes from, because I bet that they don't know that contrary to it being a grassroots pro-Palestinian human rights oriented campaign, it was actually a very deliberate Soviet messaging strategy that started when Israel was established in the in the 1940s. And, you know, re-established, re <laughs> thank you. 
in, in, in the 1940s. And we didn't know if Israel was going to ally with the Soviet Union or the US. This was at the height of the Cold War. And people surmised that Israel might ally with the Soviet Union, right, because of the kibbutzim, the kind of socialist structure of society. And they didn't. Israel allied with the with the U.S. And this was a huge blow to the Soviet Union. Right. This was going to be their their uh, stake in the Middle East. Right. This was a huge deal for them. And they couldn't they couldn't have that. And so they literally not metaphorically, they literally appropriated Nazi propaganda, propaganda, its posters, its messaging, its curriculum, all of it, you know, put it in Russian. And they began a massive delegitimization campaign, right? And they spread it all over the all over the West. And they replaced the word Jew with Zionist, right? And so that's what it became. You know, it, it took a while to catch on. It didn't really catch on until after 1967, until the the Six Day War. But but the the Soviets were relentless with this, and that has seeped so deep into our academia and into other institutions like the mainstream media. And so, you know, some of these health freedom people that, that have these views, I, I don't think they understand that that this is a very coordinated campaign to hold one single state that have that has more of an international basis of legitimacy than any of its neighbors, which were just carved up arbitrarily by colonial powers by the British or the friends who French who just exited and were like, all right, now you're going to be Lebanon and you're right, which is why there's so much ethnic strife in these regions, because they weren't divided along any sort of uh, national lines of sol solidarity. And yet Israel is held to this this one standard that no other state is held to. And that is not a coincidence. So that's one of the things I see see happening here. Um, and then, as I think you alluded to, we also see people who have become so suspicious of government and what some people are calling the Borg, right? This confluence of, of government with corporations and special interests and multilateral organizations, that they see everything through this paradigm and they're unable to step out and understand that actually there's just a history here that they might not understand. And people like me and you have actually been following this history because we've been interested in this topic. And so what has happened, of course, there are questions. And of course, it was a massive intelligence fa failure and we don't know everything. And there's already a lot of theories about what's happening. But this was kind of inevitable because we've seen how we we've seen uh, we've looked at these these groups these these genocidal Jew hating groups and what they want. We've been following this and and so we understand kind of the uh, the series of of events you know starting with 1948 and even before that led to this point. Um, but it's it's really unfortunate we see, you know, people kind of filtering it, uh, what's happening through their paradigm of COVID. And they it's like it, it's almost like they need to recenter what they are interested in. Right. It's like they it's like they they can't hold two thoughts at once. They They have to associate it. So they've been trying all these ways and they've been. They've been kind of saying it was like an inside job, like you said, and that and that Netanyahu wanted this. Why? Because maybe, you know, he's part of the elite and the World Economic Forum. And and but in actuality, this is so completely 
false because this is going to be the death of Netanyahu. There is no way he can survive this. They have already done polls, and I think it's something like 87% of Israelis want him gone after this, this war. I mean, Golda Meir was 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 way more popular than Bibi Netanyahu, and she didn't survive the the, the war. war. Right. This this is Netanyahu's worst nightmare. He is known as the so-called security prime minister. And and same with a lot of the generals. They're gonna have a hard time going into politics now. A lot of them, you know, um, when they when they retire from the army, they go they go into politics. So that's just completely false. And and there's some other ideas as well, you know. And I don't want to name names, but I saw some really disturbing tweets. I saw a tweet saying, you know, Netanyahu is the Anthony Fauci of our time, you know, in control. He's, you know, he caused this and he's also now in control of the response to it, right? As if, I mean, he's the prime minister. Of course, he's in control of the response, right? Well, you know, I think what you, it should be obvious that Israel, by and large, is using American um, materiel. And that means that the um, military-industrial, um, you know, complex is American, and it causes economic benefits to the U.S., not to Israel, so the military-industrial complex doesn't work as a rationale for why Israel would expend large amounts uh, of of um, equipment, you know, and and munitions and so on in a war. There, it's just there's no economic benefit, and in fact, it's only an economic hardship because it has to pay for all that stuff. Absolutely, and that actually kind of points to this other. This other thing um, that I'm just I'm thinking of now uh, that I hadn't before, which is that projecting America onto a country like Israel is often faulty. You see the left do it with, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, right? They frame the Palestinians as brown and the Israelis as white, which is ridiculous. We know that 50 over 50 percent of Israelis are Sephardic and they're indistinguishable aesthetically from from their Arab uh, brothers and sisters. But I think um, some people, what they're doing is they are not understanding that because America is such a large country and we don't fight wars on our soil, right? There's a lot that can get lost in translation. And there's a lot and it's and, and you know, the, the bureaucracy is big in Israel, too, but it's a very, very tiny country. And so therefore, you know, if you're comparing it to scale, I mean, there's just there's so there's there's so much more of a deep state just by virtue of how tiny a country Israel is in Israel better than there is in America. And the things that America could get away with, um, the things that our government could get away with, is the Israeli government can't necessarily get away with, especially in wartime, because they're fighting this on their territory. They are seeing everything happen before their very eyes, right? And everybody knows each other. I mean, you know, every you know, I saw another tweet from somebody in the health freedom movement that said, um, isn't it strange how not one Israeli official or any members of their family have been affected by this? Which again is completely false. I mean, I I know many Israeli officials and you know if any any of them who have a son or daughter is that is that is eligible you know to be called up has been called up and is now a reservist you know and um uh on the northern or the southern border 
And some Israeli officials have had family members that have been killed. I don't know if they've been kidnapped, but they I have seen officials who have talked about family members that have been that have been killed. So, you know, I don't know where people get this stuff. Well, right. There's no empirical evidence to say that, you know, because they're they don't know of it. That that means it didn't happen. That's certainly true. Right. Uh, um, It it really is. just kind of magical or or fantasy thinking all of of these kinds of conspiracy extrapolations and you're right israel is such a small country that it's basically one degree of separation for everybody in the country mm-hmm. that you may not know the person but you know the person's family or you 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 know or it's a friend of so and so or and so on everybody meets everybody through service in the military in their late teenage and young adult years and then they go out into the world and they have all those friends and all those and so it it just it's a completely homogenizing um factor that everybody knows everybody in the society and so it, everything is personal there that when there's 3000 people killed in the world trade center here that it's only a small percentage of people who actually know somebody who was affected although mm-hmm. both my wife and I had family members who were killed in the world trade center Um, But in Israel, it's personal. It's up close and personal that everybody knows who the people were because, you know, who were kidnapped and and who were murdered because they know the families because they they see those families, they interact with them or they know of those families and so on. So it's a totally different shell shock, a totally different kind of, of circumstance that requires a response that is going to be thought out and and work through and uh, we expect to be fixed by whatever actions the government is is going to take well we've actually got to a a commercial break point so let's take a pause and we'll be back shortly everybody please come back to world-class care from doctors you can trust all from the comfort of your home that is one wellness Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Ms. Karis Rea. We were just talking about why people who had been active and, and publicly speaking out for <clears throat> what we're calling health freedom are somehow flipping their, their uh, suspicions to what's happening in Israel. And I think that, you know, if you read Netanyahu's book, uh, <clears throat> um, BB, my story. There is a chapter on COVID, 
And there's chapters on everything else that he's done from his family through his military service and so on. He has a heroic history that he, he was almost killed like three times in military service and in, severely injured. And and what he faced and, and how he dealt with his military circumstances is quite remarkable. Something that nobody here, virtually nobody here, except maybe special ops, special forces people ever get to, you know, experience in the U.S. So he has this amazing history. Then he went becomes finance minister, to, removes the, the Labor Party socialist control of the economy that crippled Israel's economy, allowing it to be um, a moderately um, free-flowing capitalist economy that just bred startup after startup after startup that became fantastically economically viable, that made it, called it, you know, startup nation and all of that. It was his economic policies that did that when he was finance minister that that made, and, and what that did is, aside from the economic benefits, those economic benefits allowed Israel to develop its military infrastructure, its its um, military arms research, weapons research, defense research, and so on, that gave it the ability to defend itself, to largely defend itself. So this is a heroic, it's a heroic book, it's a heroic life history, until you get to COVID. Mm -hmm. And then what happens in the COVID chapter is this man who was the bravest of the brave through his whole growing up and service to the country suddenly admits that he's afraid, that his fears come out and his fears drive his his decisions, his desperate decisions to get the vaccine for Israel, that he would promise Pfizer anything and everything in order for Pfizer to give the vaccine to Israel, to make it accessible for, for Israel, because he believed the propaganda himself and did not do due diligence on the information that was available, believed people at Oxford University who were flat out wrong, believed the modelers, and did not get a uh, advice from across the medical and public health communities. He ran with it in the typical Israeli fashion of quick and dirty that works most of the time, rather than the slow and deliberate. The country doesn't have the liberty, you know, the flexibility to be slow and deliberate for most things. It does quick and dirty. That's 90% good enough, and that works. That's the kind of chick-chock as we say in Hebrew, attitude of, of how Israel works. Well, that's what he did for COVID. Mm -hmm. And 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 so what that did is it created the, once he started down that path, then he had to defend that at all costs, just like we saw the CDC and the FDA and the U.S. government defending it at all costs here. So it looked the same outwardly. It looked the same that Israel was doing to its people what our government was doing to our people. Mm -hmm. Looked the same. And functionally, it may very well have been the same, but this did not come from the ability to join the World Economic Forum. It didn't come from the ability to make trillions of dollars in profits. It didn't come from the ability to eradicate, you know, some fraction of the population because there's too many Israelis in the world. It, it came from his fear, something that a prime minister should never have. A prime minister has to be secure in making decisions 
and knowing that they're the best decisions to make and not from a, a decision made on the basis of fear like he apparently did. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason why the conspiracy theorizing doesn't extend to Israel for COVID, even though it looks like on um, from the outside, it looks the same, that it looks like Israel was doing to its people what the U.S. government did to ours. It's not the same. It, it, it The end product is kind of the same, but the, the rationale, the motivations weren't. And so for this reason, you can't automatically assume that the Israeli government does whatever it wants from deep state, you know, for somebody else's or somebody's private benefit, and the, the people suffer because they're the ones that pay the price. That That is the extrapolation that's false here that we're talking about, that the as bad as it was in Israel because of COVID and the vaccines and, and so on, and the approach and the management of it, that is not the way Israel works in times of threat, in, in potentially mortal threat to its existence. And the whole country comes together in support, and you don't see, by and large, even the critical people in Israel saying, you government, you shouldn't be there, you know, step down and let us put our old line, you know, radical leftists, you know, from, from 1930s and 40s into, into government positions. The, you know, the, the, the 5% of the population that's left in, in on that part of the political spectrum is just not fighting that battle right now, even though before this, two weeks ago, with all of the judicial reform, that's that was the battle that was being fought. All that judicial reform goes out of the way, out of the wayside, and the country comes together essentially 100% when there's existential threats, as there are now. This is why you see Israelis flying back to Israel from, from Western countries. There's more flights to Israel than flights out. The, the people are going back there. They're trying to serve in every way possible that they called up 360,000 reserves on top of their standing army. And, and they'd had to tell people that, and more people, 25% more than that showed up and said, we weren't called up, but we want to serve in our old unit and, and so on. Because everybody knows what this is about. And everybody's on the same side and everybody, the, the country is one ethnic group, one country that that bands together, even though in, in peaceful times it bickers like crazy. Mm-hmm. As that you know, but don't let that make you think that the country isn't all together and serving for one goal. As expensive as this is going to be, because all the all the 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 normal economy is put on hold for the time that all these people are called up to this military activity. Uh, you know, but then everybody else in in the system is now serving for the economy and trying to help the economy. The, uh, the country works because of, of that camaraderie and coherence. And that's what's happening now. And it's not like the government is taking advantage or has propagandized the people to do this. There's no deep state propaganda in all the media telling people, if you don't show up at, 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 at your base, you know, you're going to be ostracized from, from the world, from the Jewish world, from the Israeli world. There is no propaganda telling people to do this. There's no fear other than the realistic fear of the, the external enemy that launched itself uh, Saturday a week ago. Right. So, so it's not like people are being propagandized by the Israeli government the same way we were propagandized by our government in COVID. Right. And this is a gigantic difference why that the you cannot extrapolate this this paranoia to the Israeli government. 
Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I think the reason why Israel comes together in these times is because the wars that Israel fights are often existential wars for its survival. And I don't think that many people understand that because they're not used to that when they look at other wars. There aren't very many, I don't know if there's any country these days that fights a war for survival to actually survive as a sovereign nation, right? Um, and so I think people overlook that and they just it's a war and all wars are banker wars. And since this is a war, that must be, yeah, it must follow the same script and the same formula. But but they this is the most fundamental war that anybody can fight. This is a tribal war for survival. And actually I, I wouldn't use those terms. How would you put it? Uh, um this is a, a war of hatred that the, the hatred of classic Islamic theology, mm -hmm. going back to the prophet, is so strong that it only takes a small amount of propaganda effort to change that from a belief system into an action system called jihad. And this is basically what you see in the uh, Hamas charter is not to remove the political entity of Israel, it is to murder all Jews. Mm -hmm. Their charter is to murder all Jews because that is what they believe is their theologic destiny, that it's written in their scriptures, it's written in the interpretations, the intellectual interpretations of their scriptures, and it's been the actual basis of how Islamic society has acted out against Jews for the last thousand years, if not longer. The number of massacres against Jewish communities all over the Islamic world, it has been hundreds of thousands in total, or millions in total, over a thousand years. And it happens almost regularly when some preacher inflames the local population, and they go in and they kill all their 4,000 Jews. And this happens all over the Islamic world. And this is the same thing happening in our day. This is not new that this happened and all over in uh, cities in, in Palestine before it was called Israel in the modern era. And in Hebron in 1929, all the Jews living in Hebron were murdered uh, and, and other cities. It happened in 1936. Uh, if you go to Israel and go out into the fields, and you'll see that in some of the places where they're doing some archaeologic research, that there are some old railway cars sitting on the, on the railroads lines there. And you'll find here and there, one of the concrete cars that has bullet holes all over it. Why were these concrete cars with bullet holes all over it? It's because they were building the railroads and they needed to defend the workers. And so these concrete cars were there so that the workers could be protected from being shot at by the Arabs. This, this dates back to 1936. There was no state of Israel in 1936, but there was hatred in 1936. And this hatred has pervaded Arab or Muslim-Jewish relations eternally. There is no hatred of Jews for Islam because we don't never accepted Islam as a Jewish kind of community. It was a parallel community out there, the way Christianity is a parallel community. We think of it as Jews, we think of it as non-Jews who, who 
are trying to live in some respects their own moral religious life that we have no involvement with except to live civilly and peacefully with on the side of and interact economically if it's viable. But those, on the other hand, have supersessionist theologies, replacement theologies. Christianity had a replacement theology which said the Jews are invalid because we've superseded them, and, and now Christian, Christianity takes the place of Judaism, so there's no reason to have Jews anymore, except for uh, a, a small remnant to prove how Judaism is no longer valid because we've taken it over. That changed in, in Catholicism in 1965 with the Nostra Aetate encyclical. Um, but for some of the Protestant world, it's still out there. The non-Southern Baptist Protestant world, there's still supersessionist theology out there. And Islam and I has, saw, is I saw it. so. Yeah, and I just want to make that, I just want to make that point that I saw a lot of that supersessionist commentary in the episode that I did with Jan the the other week. Um on American Thought Leaders, he put me on air to discuss this, and 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 the episode did very well, and there was a lot of comments, and the the there was a lot of supersessionist Christian um, uh, comments, and also just of the nature that Jews killed Christ, and therefore they're eternally damned, and, and and so forth. There was a lot of that that still exists. Right, and and that's the same thing that Muhammad killed the Banu Korea, beheaded 600 Jew, Jewish men and, and put the wives in, in sex slavery and, and so on. You know, And because of that, it is the Jews in, in Islam are eternally damned and that eternal damnation must be taken out among at Jews in every generation for forever. And that is their reigning theology. And of course, you, know, you can understand that, that that is a supremely supersessionist theology that Judaism, even still believing in one God the same way Islam does, you know, forms a to them a an intolerable competition for a religious belief system that they cannot live alongside with, by and large. And so, when these people become inflamed to think that it's their religious duty, their messianic, messianic religious duty to go out and kill Jews because that's what the prophet said and did and so on, then they just take it literally and they get messianistic and, and go all, all out, you know, using their intellectual brains to, to figure out how to make attacks and wars and devices and all this kind of stuff without having the common sense to know that humans don't live productive lives with this degree of hate. And so th that's why this is an aside, but that's why... The two sides, that, the, the very obvious quote that if, that if the Arabs laid down their arms, there would be peace. If the Jews laid down their their arms, there would be no Jews. Okay? It's obvious the asymmetry of what's being fought here. And so when, when Hamas comes in and butchers civilians, babies, you know, burns families to death and all that stuff, that is their primeval, primordial hatred acting out not a rational political calculus. And this is, of course, the reason why all the statements that have been made by the university professors that cannot tell the difference between a political statement and a, a religious, a hateful religious one are, have, are morally flawed because they just don't get it that, that Israel is not battling a Western adversary. Absolutely. I think that this is the Kool-Aid that people even in the health freedom movement have unfortunately drunk uh, drunk that this is a, a a conflict about land when it is not i don't think that people understand that 
within Arab Muslim culture, anti-Semitism is fundamental. Children are raised to believe they've never met a Jew because virtually all of the Jews have been ethnically cleansed from Arab countries. You know, people talk about the Palestinian refugees, but very few people talk about the close to 1 million Jewish refugees who were ethnically cleansed from from Arab lands around the same time in the 1940s. But um, people don't realize that still to this very day, Arab Muslim children are raised with a diet of Jew hatred, and it is in all of the institutions. It is in the education system. It is on TV. It is in the mosques, right? And when... Yeah, the kids are given, you know, wooden rifles to go out and practice a recess shooting Jews, you know, to pretend shooting Jews. They're trained to do that. Exactly. And they don't distinguish between Israelis or Jews. They, if you want, there's a wonderful, there's a couple wonderful uh, organizations. One's called Palestinian Media Watch and one's called Memory and uh, Memory, excuse me. And they translate, they follow Arab uh, media, Arab curriculum, and, uh, and specifically Palestinian uh, media and curriculum, and they translate everything into English. And you can go and look through the archives going back to when these organizations were founded and you can watch exactly what is being taught to these children. And it is terrifying. And one thing I don't understand is why people don't accept that less than a hundred years after the Holocaust, there wouldn't still be such Jew hatred in the world. Why, well, it was there. It was there during the Holocaust. The Mufti of Jerusalem, Mufti of Jerusalem, met with Hitler. They planned to work out a solution to kill all the Jews of uh, pre-state Palestine. Absolutely, but people see what's going on here. They don't. They don't make the connection. They don't look at what has happened here and understand that what we are facing are literal modern day Nazis. You know, the left loves to, to throw that word around Nazi and use it to for whoever they, they want to. And of course, now where, the, where it's the one time that it's actually appropriate to use it, nobody's using it. Yeah, well, and, let me take a pause here. We have to take another commercial break. So we'll be right back. Everybody, please stay tuned. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. 
Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch with Ms. Karis Rea. Well, we were talking about whether the these jihadists were our modern-day Nazis in what they do, did, or what they showed that they did in, in the uh, terrorist attack in, in, in Israel a week or so ago. Um, it, what's interesting is I think it's a little more generalizable than that. The Nazis in general didn't torture their victims. They killed them, the, you know, wholesale in, in some respects. Um, but they didn't torture them. They they didn't, it, for them, it was just getting rid of them. They, they weren't, they didn't consider them, they still consider them people. The Arabs don't consider Jews as people. Mm. They, well, that's they, interesting. The demonization is, is worse. But one thing I wanted to say is that the author, Ray Ibrahim, talks about, he's written a book on wars between Christianity and Islam and has documented the bar barbarities that mostly the um, Muslims did to the Christians that they conquered and the, the torture that they did to captives, that they would take captives and they would literally torture to death the males and put the females as, make the female sex slaves. But it, it's the, that torture is an idea of absolute ubermenschen superiority that we've won, we are the people in control, and we can do anything to you that we want, including make you hurt so much you'll die over it. They, that that degree uh, of superiority, it is a very toxic way of, and non and just it's it's impossible for Western people to believe that these things happen and are normative in their culture, to the degree that there are parts. Of Islam that are Westernized and and have become um, more progressive in in their terms, you don't that you know that's less of a component in in their thinking and behavior, but that is still not the normative considerations for much of Islamic society. The progressive part of Islamic society is relatively small, and it's dominated by the Islamic orthodoxy and their schools and their and their schools of thought that make the oppressive barbaric component of, of Islam normative. And I've said many times, until there's a reformation in Islam, you know, Christianity had its reformation that made people think about it. Till there's a reformation in Islam, we'll be fighting, you know, the the the, the Islamic takeover of the world, the, the jihadist takeover of the world. We will continue to be fighting every way that that they can make it happen. And, and they said it, you know, it's all public knowledge, and not, and even in English, that their their 
job is to t- make Islam spread all over the whole world. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I say this all the time. It's a much newer religion. It has not gone through a reformation. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I would highly recommend anybody to read Raymond Ibrahim. I, Ibrahim, I know him well, and he really, really understands um, Islamic history. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I would say, though, that the Nazis didn't torture people or that they're somehow any better or worse than jihadists. I mean, you know, I, as far as I know, they buried people alive. And, you know, I would say the gas chambers was a form of torture and the experimentation is a form the of experiment, torture. Yeah, also. but that wasn't normative. The, the experimentation was done by a very small part of it. The burying people alive was done for expediency and mass murder, not mm-hmm. to make people feel pain. Yeah. But they didn't see. But they. But they didn't see. I mean, do you really think they saw Jews still as 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 human as people? I I, I feel like they didn't. It's in their propaganda. They 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 call us vermin. They call us rats. They call us um, insects. Right. Yes, but for the Nazis to do that, it was just to put us down. You know, undermentioned, but still mentioned. For the for the Arabs, we are pigs and and monkeys. Right. For the right. for Islamic society, that's what we're called. Right. And, and and so I think I think, too, when I say that Israel is fighting an existential war and people don't really understand that this is this is why, because it's not just Israel is fighting a war for its survival as a Jewish state. It's actually an existential war for Jews all over the world, because there are not so many of us. I mean, if you ask the average person in America on the street how many Jews there are and you tell them that there are, you know, about a, a billion and a half uh, Christians and about the same amount of Muslims, then they'd probably think that there's the same amount of Jews. But there's 14 million, 14 or 15 million 15, yeah. Jews, 15 million Jews in the world. And the reason why people in America think that there's so much more than that is because they're virtually all here in America or in Israel, right? I mean, there's a small community in Argentina and in France and in, in the UK, but virtually half of half of all the Jews live in America and the other half live in Israel. And so if Israel lost a war, uh, of uh, of this nature half of all the jews in the world would be gone it would be a second holocaust so i don't really think people understand the 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 stakes here and i've also seen people um in the health freedom movement slip into this kind of moral relativism right they do the both the both sides thing and to me that's just such a representation of their ignorance of of the history of of the region Right. They 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 don't under they they don't take into account the genocidal Jew hatred that is so blatant and not just with Hamas, but in the Palestinian Authority and in and in, in larger Arab culture. And and it's a same it's a shame because like you said, you know, it makes us feel like uh people that we thought were our friends don't have our backs. And and you know, I I read a blog, my mom sent me a blog yesterday, a really touching essay by somebody I had never heard of. And um, it was about this very subject about um, how, you know, we're kind of looking at our friends and, and questioning, questioning who's really there for us. And, and he said something that I wasn't even aware that I do. He said, virtually every single Jew in the world when we meet somebody, not necessarily everybody, but when we establish a relationship with somebody, we all think to ourselves, 
we all ask ourselves a question and you're smiling. Do you know what the question is? Jew, not a Jew. It's would you would you would you hide us? Oh no, not that, not that. Uh, that's true, but but not no. I don't think that's true. I don't think American Jews, by and large, think that. I, I think I don't think Israeli Jews. I think the previous generation thought that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think our generation thinks that. I think we, however, are. Well, I certainly think that. <laughs> you might maybe now. I we are we think. Are you a friend of us or not? Mm, interesting. Okay, interesting. it's not. It's not. Would you hide us? But are are you my friend or my foe? Are you you know ambivalent about whether I live or not? You know, and so on. Jewishly speaking. Well, it, that's interesting because, you know, when he said that, uh, when he said, we always think, would you hide us? In my mind, I was like, wow, I do that, and I've done that since I was a little girl, and I learned about the Holocaust, and I learned about my family's history. And I still do it to this day, but I do it unconsciously. I ask myself, I've asked myself about all of my friends or people that I start to feel connected with or, or romantic relationships. Like, you know, if this was, you know, would you hide me if this was another Holocaust? And I feel like that it's kind of, you know, that's, that answer is becoming clearer right now. I, I think that this is a growing issue. I never felt that way. I, I, when I grew up in Los Angeles, I had never had any anti-Semitic incidents that affected me ever through even into college. Um, and maybe it was just the times in the 1950s and early 60s. Maybe it was the place, Los Angeles as opposed to New York, as opposed to Deep South or whatever, you know. Um, so I, I think these this is not a completely common experience. Wanting to know whether somebody is friends of ours or not, meaning how much do I have to worry about protecting myself or being open or things like that on, on topics. I think that's normal life. That's part of normal rough and tumble of living in, in a kind of a rough and tumble society in general. I don't think we're the only ones who do that. And probably Blacks do the same thing for mm -hmm. their reasons too. I think it's normal to have to do that. Um, but I think that we, knowing our history of persecution for the last two millennia, think in those terms more, um, you know, uh, that there could be issues and want to protect ourselves. But I don't think, see, to me, that's a question of feeling powerless. And I don't feel that powerless. I don't feel that. I feel that I will defend myself against people who would attack me, and I will acquire the methods for doing so, you know, and can, and it's legal in our society to do so. And I'm not afraid of doing that. And so I don't feel personally powerless for myself or my family. And so I've never, that's never been the question of mm -hmm. having to have somebody hide me because I was powerless, because I don't, that's not the route that I would take. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure why I thought that because I too didn't experience anti-Semitism um, personally until after college. So I had the same experience. I grew up in the Bay Area. And yet, even as a little girl, like that was just a question that that came up, and I I don't I don't know why. Were your parents survivors? My grandparents are survivors. Yes, on my on my father's side, yeah, they were survivors. So mine weren't. We all got to the United States before World War II. I uh, have mm -hmm. lots of of relatives who were murdered, but they're further away among mm -hmm. my parents' relatives, obviously. Um, so it didn't affect me anywhere near as personally as many other people. Mm, maybe, um, yeah, that could be it. 
But, you know, um, I know we're getting to the end here, but there's, there's something I just wanted to um, bring up that also I just uh, recall was disturbing. And that was that I'm seeing along the lines of this moral relativism and this both sidesism. You know, we saw the thousands at the Sydney Opera House that supposedly gathered in support of Palestine and ended up chanting gas the Jews, right? Right. Over and over again. Right. And people are equating that. I see people, even in the health freedom movement, equating the call for mass extermination to calls by, you know, heads of state, like, you know, Nikki Haley or Netanyahu or whatever, to, uh, you know, annihilate Hamas, right? Like kind of vague statements like finish them or give them hell, right? Mm -hmm. People are equating those statements with the gas, the Jews. And the, the disconnect there it's not a disconnect. It's a connect. Those people are living in a different intellectual universe where for them, the they can intellectualize a bizarre fringe ideas that somehow A versus B is the same as B versus A, even though right. one is an attack and one is a defense. They they intellectualizing things always makes the theories simple, simplistic in order to make them understandable. And so these people are living in an intellectual universe that's totally devoid from reality. And they can't tell the difference between their intellectual universe and the real world. That's right. the problem here. Right, of course, because nobody, because of course you would say something, you know, if the Nazis attacked your homeland, of course you're gonna say, go in there and give them hell, finish them off. Of course you're going to say things like that. You're starting a war, okay? You Nobody expects somebody to be like, Okay, give them hell, but just Hamas, not the civilians. You know, it's right, not and don't and don't be disproportional. You know, yeah. you might be, you might, your country might be, might be destroyed, but oh, don't God. don't be disproportional. Well, the disproportionate argument speaks to how mainstream anti-Semitism has become, and how Israel is held to a double standard that no other country is held to. There is no country in the world that is expected to to you know, kill the same number of people or less, or even just abide by some arbitrary, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no proportionate, um, uh, you know, statue in any sort of, uh, uh, you know, internal, no, international no, law. No, 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 we dropped bombs, we totally flattened Dresden, killed everybody in Dresden in World War II. You know, the, the Russians did the same. We did it in Japan, you know, right. and we we're still morally questioning whether it was right to drop the bombs on Japan. Um, right. And there's rationalizations for that either way. And I don't want to talk right. about that. But the point is that we make those decisions in wartime because they're the best we can do to protect ourselves. And right. Israel's going to do the best it's going to do to protect itself. And no amount of calls for proportionality will change that. And like you said, we're not dealing with a we're not dealing with a state actor here. We're dealing with a terrorist organization that, you know, as I hope everybody understands now, cares less about their own people than we do, than Israel does, than Jews do. Jews care more about Palestinians than Hamas cares about Palestinians, which is why they use them as human shields and they fire rockets from civilian populations. They store military equipment in schools, in playgrounds, in hospitals. They fire rockets also from the rooftops of hospitals because they know that when Israel hits back, it will make it harder for them to not kill civilians. And this is part of their 
this is part of their propaganda and their strategy, which is to delegitimize Israel in the world's eyes and garner yeah. sympathy for their cause. Well, let me just return. So to the where we started, um, that I'm wondering whether some of the we, what we've described, what you've described, is our health freedom people who've gone along this route seem to be doing it kind of organically for themselves. I'm, however, raising the possibility that this is also a psyop that they're doing this because they have been manipulated to, to as part of a method to damage the health freedom movement more generally. And I have no evidence for this, so I'm only expressing my conspiracy thinking. And I'll just leave it at that. We've kind of run out of time here. So I'll let you know, listeners write in and tell me how crazy I am or not. Um, and, and we'll be fine with that. So uh, we are out of time. And I want to thank everybody for for tuning in. I hope everybody's enjoyed the conversation. This has been a kind of a very different topic than the kinds of things we normally talk about. There's more controversies in this and maybe a little more emotions involved in this. But I think that because our goals here have been all throughout, and, and at least my podcast have been to talk about the realities of COVID and its management and who stands for what and who which people are actually standing up and trying to speak the truth and trying to get proper pandemic management and and, and care, health care for people and so on, that when we see splits forming, we want to try to repair them, bring them out in the open and be explicit why they're occurring and how we can fix it. And so I appreciate this opportunity to do that. And so Karis, thank you. This was really a great conversation, interesting for me. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. And please come back again next week. Thank you so much.